You're listening to the N2K Space Network. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. us who really grok space could probably stand to do a better job of explaining to the broader public not just what's happening in space but also why it's happening and why it means great things for all of us on earth one of the people working to do just that is christina corp the founder of space for a better world a foundation formed to educate and inspire people all over the world about why space matters for everybody And because she has, honestly, an incredible life story and the best job title I have ever heard, I'm going to let her introduce herself. Sure. My name is Christina Corp. I am known as the Astronaut Wrangler, uh, which actually, by the way, I just gave that title to myself. But it's because I used to work for Apollo 11 astronaut Buzz Aldrin. And now I work with many, many astronauts uh, who used to work at NASA or have already been to space. That, yeah, I mean, that is the coolest title in existence, for the record. (laughs) When I saw that on your email signature, I said, how does one get that amazing title? And and what is that like to be an astronaut wrangler? Well, and to explain why it's an astronaut wrangler is because during all the years I worked for Buzz, people would call me up and say, since you're the astronaut whisperer, and I'm like, (laughs) whispering is not the word. (laughs) And there have been some people too, by the way, who are like, oh, that's so disrespectful to astronauts to say you have to wrangle them. And the astronauts are like, no, accurate. It's totally <laughs> accurate. So, Yeah, um, I, I would say I imagine they're very busy people. So, and, and as are you. So I would think wrangling makes a lot of sense in that case. Well, and they're very, you know, there are many different kinds of personalities. I, You know, just like anybody, astronauts yeah. come in many, many different molds. <laughs> and so... <laughs> And, and and look, they're all accomplished people and they're all very confident people. So, you know, they're often experts in their own world, uh, their own field or whatever. But I'm I know what I'm doing when it comes to what I'm trying to help them with. And so, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of wrangling. But for the most part, I try really hard to work with the astronauts that I think are really good people who are have a shared purpose uh, with what I try to do through my foundation. Yes. Uh, yeah. So many good things in that. So I was going to say, 
what what kind of things do you do on your own or with the astronauts, whichever whichever one you want to start with first? Well, I think, you know, for people who don't know me, it's helpful to know that I came from the, the music world. So I was in a family band growing up and I moved to LA to become a rock star. And my whole life was about music. I was signed to Warner uh, Chapel as a songwriter and I wow. sang uh, backgrounds on Ringo Starr records and I toured all over the world singing primarily in Spanish. And I don't speak Spanish very well, by the way, but I can sing it. Um, and I just kind of had this crazy rock star lifestyle of singing in front of 20 to 200,000 people, um, in, in live concerts and, and also recording. And that was my life. And then I, and then I started to, uh, cause I had to get a real job. I went to work for John Tesh and he mentored me and taught me how to run his media company, his record label production company, radio show. And I was the tour manager. Mm. Uh, and then I went to I, I wanted a quiet, boring life for a little while because I had had this total rock star lifestyle. And I went to work for Buzz Aldrin. I answered an ad in The Hollywood Reporter. And oh. it, it was one of these things where I had no idea what was going on in space. I just was looking for a job that I thought was going to be a good, more quiet simple job compared to what I had been doing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And um, it opened me up into this whole world of space and hanging out with Apollo astronauts. And yeah, so it's it's not a conventional like avenue to space. And it's also not even typical for really anything else. <laughs> that, I, I love that kind of story, honestly, though. I mean, I would imagine, I know very little about Buzz Aldrin. I've never met the man, but I, I know of him through his, uh, uh, you know, his mystique, I suppose. I would imagine you having rock star background might mesh well with him. Is that maybe why when you answered the classified, he was like, yeah, you definitely. Well, so the funny thing is I didn't even meet Buzz in my early um uh, interviews. It was his ex-wife and her daughter who were really the ones running the company who needed the help with uh, managing his appearances. So they wanted somebody with an entertainment background uh, who knew how to handle that kind of thing, especially someone in LA. And for me, I had just been hanging out with Aerosmith and people like that. So to me, <laughs> dealing with... I'm in Boston, so that's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, like dealing with Buzz Aldrin... And thinking of this old dude who walked on the moon, I was like, man, this is going to be a piece of cake compared to what I was doing, you know, just to deal with one guy and also someone. I mean, I literally just thought he must just watch, watch I read the paper every day. You know, this is going to be pretty boring. And I thought, well, I could use some boring. It's been a while. But and, and I mean, initially, it really was fairly quiet and he was just doing typical um, like corporate gigs and that sort of thing. But as the 40th anniversary of Apollo 11 came up, because I started with him in January of 2008, and 2009 was the 40th anniversary of Apollo 11, and things really started ramping up to celebrate that anniversary. And that's when I started really leveraging my entertainment background to try to help promote what uh, not only the historic um, anniversary, but then his vision, which was all about going to Mars. And that's when I started thinking, well, maybe I have an opportunity here to bring my entertainment skills to try to amplify his vision, but in a way that people like me could understand it. And so that's kind of what has led me down this path now in my own, you know, new mission, so to speak, of what I, how I married that, the, the entertainment side of me along with the, the, the space world now. That is a fascinating story. And I, I, I think it's so important that people understand that every, every path into 
a career does not have to be this linear thing that no experience is ever wasted and we can bring our full selves to the table. And I, I love that, that you've got space for a better world, your foundation, where you're doing that. You're bringing all these facets of your experience together. Can you talk a little bit about what your foundation is, what it does? Yeah. So I came up with the tagline of connecting the space curious to the space serious because I came from the world of the space curious. I mean, even though I knew nothing about space, I loved Star Trek and Star Yay. Wars and lots of <laughs> sci-fi. You know, my, my grandma was always big into um, astronomy. And so, you know, space curious for sure. But then I got, um, then I entered this world of the deep space serious of dealing with, you know, guys who walked on the moon, but also space agencies and, heads of aerospace companies and just really major decision makers in space. And so, and then aside from that, always hearing moon landing memories, being with guys who walked on the moon, I became the keeper of the moon landing memories. I just heard thousands of them, you know, <laughs> and realizing, wow, I have a responsibility here. Um, you know, I, I'm in a unique position of, of hearing these stories that for the guys was just their reality. But then I realized, wow, this is people pouring out their hearts and souls about what the first moon landing especially meant to them and how it kind of lit this spark within them of believing they could do something that they didn't think was possible for themselves before. So that's really what kind of um, has led me to Space for a Better World. So it's, it's a combination of doing outreach to inspire young people and people from a lot of different backgrounds to believe that there's a place for them in space. And, and I'm a living proof of that, you know, having come from where I came from. But then also realizing there's, I, I have a, uh, maybe a, an opportunity to educate even people who are big decision makers for companies or even in countries. You know, that's something that I realized when I went to the World Economic Forum in 2019 and again in 2020, just before the pandemic, is how little a lot of those decision makers who say they want to save our planet know is at their disposal through space, like that there are tools here that are really valuable to help some of the world's uh, biggest uh, problems. And I, I really feel that space is the place for those solutions. So that's what I'm trying to do is help educate people and create content and do outreach and speak about it whenever I have a chance. I think that's such an important mission. And, and I'm so curious what you just mentioned, the fact that a lot of people don't know that there's that space, I love space as a place, it's a great line. A lot of people don't know or they don't see the relevance. Like, for example, my mother was a teenager when uh, we went up to the moon and she often tells me, I don't understand why we spent all that money to go there and we got our problems on Earth, which we hear it all the time from everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I feel like historically we've done, those of us who are enthusiasts or work in the industry in, in any capacity, we haven't done a great job at sort of selling, <laughs> for lack of a better term, why going to space matters. Um, and why space exploration is important for those of us on Earth. Like, why have we not done a, as good a job as maybe we should be doing? You know, what's interesting is we, I just was talking earlier with Nicole Stott, um, the NASA astronaut who I work closely with and is a major partner in purpose with me on Space for a Better World. You know, the interesting thing about the Apollo era is they did a fantastic job of marketing um, going to the moon. Like, they really got not just America, but the whole world on board with the idea of this exciting endeavor of going to the moon. And so it's just since then, I think we've, you know, there hasn't been the greatest marketing and messaging um, in a way that people understand the value of what they've gotten from that. I mean, the return on investment is so beyond measure that hardly anybody's 
I don't even know if anybody's ever truly done it. And we're talking thousands and thousands upon times of what we put into it has been given back to the world. And so, you know, what I'm trying to do through Space for a Better World is kind of show people that. So for instance, you know, everyone takes for granted that they have a little computer in their hand that lets them talk to anyone in the world with no delay. They can do it with video chat. They can use GPS to go anywhere they want without a map in their hand. And that is all space technology that was created to go to the moon. It was all about trying to uh, create communications and different types of technology to enable us to take humans to the moon. And now we all use it and everyone takes it for granted. It's so um, ordinary now, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. People don't even understand that's what it is. I mean, that's the interesting part about it is everyone is using space technology and they just don't know that's what it is. So trying to bridge that gap, that's what I really feel like, okay, maybe me and the astronauts can help bridge that gap. Because meanwhile, like even in the world of cyber and AI and all of that, again, all of that computing began a lot of it within uh, the space program, or at least in some way really evolved into what everyone's using now because of what we had to learn uh, for space. And so that's where I'm trying to even kind of bring back full circle so many things that people don't don't understand evolved from the space program and so, so just to give a couple more examples that are not even the technology but you know i say to people if you're using memory foam you're using space technology you know everybody uses it for their neck pillows and it's in their shoes and it's on your beds and you know and it's it was a material that was created to soften the landing of a spacecraft um you know i could go on and on and that's one thing that i'm i'm going to start doing is trying to show people like, look, you you are benefiting every day from this. So it isn't like we're just spending, and this is where we always laugh in the space world about, oh, we're spending all this money in space. Well, actually, all that money is spent on Earth. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually spent on Earth paying people, engineers, and a lot of what they're developing is actually totally, I don't know how best to describe it, but it's totally, totally evolving into things that we use all the time as everyday products. We'll be right back after this quick break. And now a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport, You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills all using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. 
Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero-trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Yeah, and I I know that that is definitely an avenue to 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 reach some folks who are maybe on on the cusp of being like pro space for <laughs> for lack of a better term. Like, yeah, I think I guess what space is doing for us is really good. I, I'm wondering how do you reach people who are really cynical about it, who are who are just I guess really really like oh, I don't care about that. I'm I'm down here and that's up there. I mean, it, it does does that get through to them if you're telling them about? Um, you know, the, the cool things that, that exploration and, and scientific development have done for them? Or is there, is there some other avenue that you found sometimes gets through? Well, I think what it comes down to is, you, ha- you know, everybody cares about something, right? So you have to um, figure out where you can meet them at the point that something matters to them. And so often the people who are saying, oh, why are we spending money on space? will say, oh, I'm an environmentalist or I'm worried about climate. I'm worried about these things, you know, with uh, climate change. And, and, and the ironic thing is, you know, they'll say, I just, I can't worry about space. I've got to worry about that. And I'm like, well, first of all, we live on a planet in space and it's not this far away place that has nothing to do with us. Space is all around us. First of all, second of all, it's actually NASA and the European Space Agency and all the different agencies that are giving you the climate data. That's where it's coming from. It's not just some nebulous thing, you know, out in the universe. You're, we're just learning this. It is the space people who are providing that data and are working in cooperation with NOAA, the uh, National Oceanic and um, Atmospheric Association or Administration. And it's not a separate thing. That's that's so that that's what I think it has to come down to is you find something that people care about. You know, I met some people uh, back in London last year who care about animals. And so then I said, well, so did you know that they're using AI with satellites in orbit that are able to track, say, like the gorillas or endangered elephants easier from space than on the ground? Because it's easier to police the poaching efforts or keep track of the animals using AI in, in orbit than it is with just people driving around on the ground. So that's where I think if you can meet them at the place about the thing that they care about and show them how space can help that particular thing. I mean, that's where I, I feel like I'm starting to get more people to understand the value or, or at least um, not be opposed to it. That, that's a great point. And um, how can those of us who are space enthusiasts, what, what would you, so that, that's one recommendation, meet people where they are. Any, any other recommendations to those of us who maybe are trying to win over a skeptical family member or a friend and um, anything else that you might recommend uh, in those conversations, those day-to-day conversations? Well, I have to tell you, if they're a flat earther, you're not going to change their mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll throw that one out. Yeah, <laughs> people, people who believe in the basic tenets of science, we'll start with that. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty hard to, I mean, anybody who's decided the earth is flat, man, they have just committed themselves to something <laughs> that's just 
<laughs> yeah, you know. Oh, and I'm sure you've encountered folks like that too. So I'm, I'm no fun there. I just, I think people, you know, I'll just tell you a little story, which is interesting relating to conspiracy theorists, because sometimes I just think people want to believe something, just want to be different. They want to. Oh, for sure. And, yeah, and, definitely. You know, I went to the South Pole with Buzz Aldrin in 2016. <laughs> And <laughs> the way you so casually said that, by the way, it just kind of blows my mind. <laughs> you know, it's a weird, weird statement, but it's true. And, and when we got there, um, he got high altitude pulmonary edema and we had to be evacuated because he got very sick. And we so we went from one side of Antarctica to the South Pole and then evacuated to the other side to McMurdo and then home. And in the course of that flight from the South Pole to McMurdo, uh, actually, I guess it was from when we were going on to New Zealand because um, we had to go to New Zealand. That was the closest place from McMurdo. Um, we had put out a press release, you know, that he had gotten sick. And in the course of the flight from McMurdo to New Zealand, someone created a fake tweet that looked like it was from Buzz. Like it looked graphically real saying that there were alien pyramids at the South Pole. And the funny thing is, is I was the one who created Buzz's social media accounts and I created that Twitter account and I was the one who does the tweets. So I couldn't say, oh, well, Buzz, first of all, Buzz doesn't tweet anything. This isn't from him. Um, but I just, you know, had to say like, this is not real. And a lot of people would reach out to me. And I just picture somebody sitting in their basement just thinking, I'm going to mess with a bunch of people <laughs> and create this this complete fabrication. And so, I mean, to this day, people will still message me saying, please tell us about the alien pyramids at the South Pole. There's nothing, there's nothing there. There's a, there's the pole and there's a research facility by the and National Foundation and there's nothing else. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to tell you that right now. Um, and so anyway, I mean, I think if someone is just dead set on not listening to you, I just think it's pretty hard to change their mind. But I think if someone is willing at least to hear you out and be curious enough to go and explore, um, you know, you could always guide them to things. And that's what I'm trying to do uh, with my network and, and try to do some storytelling that shows them. Because look, all of this is is at your disposal on the internet. I mean, unfortunately, trustworthy sources. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. there's there's a lot, you know, a lot of nonsense on there too. But you know, this is all on the NASA website. Now, do they present it the best way? I mean, there's a lot of sifting to do, and that's where we're trying to help guide you to the stuff that um, maybe you care about. The other thing is, like with the moon landing, the moon landing conspiracists who don't believe we landed on the moon. I mean, the funny thing is, we landed on the moon six times. Six moon landing sites, which, by the way, I did not know until I worked for Buzz either. So I understand why some people wouldn't, they would think there was one moon landing. And why would we just go to the moon once? Well, we went there. And why are we going back again? Yeah. 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 And we landed six times and we're going to go back again. And this time we're going to do it as an international endeavor on Artemis. But, But to back up to the conspiracy theory thing, Google has a lunar orbiter and they have mapped the whole entire moon. That's is Google moon. You can look for it. And you can zoom in and see where Apollo 11 landed and even the tracks of where Neil Armstrong went to the edge of the crater with his, uh, you know, moon boot tracks. So this is all stuff that, you know, it's too hard to have that many people in the conspiracy when there's so much evidence, you know, but anyway, I just think if somebody is, is doubtful of that kind of thing, you can say, well, go check this out and hopefully they do. 
Yeah, I, I was going to say, given given what you do and who you work with, that unfortunately has to be a, a downside of the gig is dealing with people who are the conspiracy theorists who, um, I, I remember talking to someone who was working uh, on the comm side at NASA and it was just sort of like a big downer of the job was dealing with people being like, it's all fake. Um, and it just got to be dispiriting, I think, being on the other end of that uh, when, when you know it's real and a lot of hard work went into it to have people discredit it so it's not, I mean, those people are thankfully in the minority. Um, yeah. And the good news is that I think if you talk to a reasonable, sensible person and you say, hey, go check this out, then, and they're curious enough, they'll go do it. Yeah, you know? definitely. Yeah, thankfully, you're right. Those, those folks are, are kind of more fringe. Anyway, let's, I'll change topics entirely to something uh, more positive. So what are you excited about for what's coming uh, in, in this, this new space era? Well, first of all, the commercial space part of things is really exciting because it's helping to accelerate things that are difficult to help accelerate in government. So I say this because a lot of people, oh, all these billionaires, this new billionaire space race. And we actually, the astronauts and I and most of the community are like, thank goodness for the billionaires because it's not just, a, they're not doing joy rides um, just for the sake of it. They've got big ambitious plans and besides all of that, they employ thousands of people who have their own hopes and dreams, you know, um, built into uh, these new future space endeavors. So we're super uh, supportive of it and also even trying to help kind of change people's perceptions of why people like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, you know, they're both terrible communicators. And But, but they're, what they're actually trying to do is actually amazing. And we need that kind of crazy ambition uh, to do the things that they're doing. And meanwhile, you know, NASA has the Artemis program. And there are, I think, 23 nations in the world have signed the Artemis Accords. And this is the missions to go back to the moon for a human, uh, human presence, like a permanent presence to build a moon base. And again, people will, oh, why are we going to do that? Well, everything we will learn from that will benefit and turn into new innovative technologies that will benefit the whole world. And so that's one thing. And by the way, it's opportunities for commercial companies to actually make money. It doesn't have to be just this, okay, the taxpayers are paying for us to go to the moon. There are huge opportunities for companies to be a part of this and to actually make money doing it. And then secondly, Artemis is to land uh, the first woman on the moon. They will land other people too, but as a woman, and I'm sure you can appreciate this, the idea that the first woman will finally get to walk on the moon is pretty exciting. And I'm really trying hard to make people aware of this. And, and, and it isn't well known, unfortunately, and it needs to be more widespread. Um, and I think when, when I tell, especially science teachers who don't know, they're like, wait a minute, what? I'm like, yeah, the first woman is going to walk on the moon. And we're not talking in 10 years. We're talking in the next uh, few years. Like Artemis 1 launched in November. I was at that launch at Kennedy Space Center. And Artemis 2 is in the planning phases. And, you know, it probably will be SpaceX Starship will be the rocket probably that will take them back to the moon. Um, I mean, they have the contract for a lunar lander, uh, but, but you know, we shall see. But these are near-term ambitious plans that I really want to make people aware of because I think it has the power to excite the world the way that the Apollo missions did. I totally agree. Uh, for me, I have a six-year-old daughter who's I'm, is very into space, and me telling her, "Hey, you're going to get to see the first woman walk on the moon." Uh, I just can't tell you how much it just it makes my it makes me light up knowing that I get to to watch that with her and and watch my little girl see that. That's that's for me just massive. Um, so I I hope more people will will 
we'll understand that there's some really great stuff coming. And I, I'm so excited for what your foundation does and is doing um, because I think it's an extraordinarily important mission. It's something that uh, we've been needing for a long time is to pay attention to how we're messaging the important things going on and communicating to not just the space nerds, but to everybody what's going on. So thank you for what you do. And I'm sure we'll be talking to you a lot uh, about what, what's been going on. Um, but thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. I'm, I know I could just ramble on and on. So <laughs> I would gladly listen. So <laughs> you've got a lot of great stories. So <laughs> well, thank, thank you, you very much. Yeah, thank you so much. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. <laughs> 